Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before we get started with our amazing guest, I want to tell you about a brand new disability awareness educator's guide that I am so excited to announce. It's published through National Professional Resources, Inc., and it's a trifold laminated beyond disability awareness and educator's guide that really takes everything that you will find in my books and on the podcast and just gives you, it's kind of like cliff notes of disability awareness in a way that's respectful and founded in research and a social justice lens. So if you're interested in checking it out, you can go to dianapastoracarson.com slash store, and you'll find a link there. Now let's get started. Welcome to the Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters podcast. Here you'll find a safe space to learn and grow with leaders in education, disability studies, disability advocacy, and diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. Specifically, we look at how disability fits into diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how to frame disability awareness in the context of educating K-12 communities. This podcast serves educators, parents, and community members who strive to learn and or teach about disability in a research-based and respectful way, moving beyond simple awareness and diving into inclusive and socially responsive conversations. Thank you for joining us today. Now let's go beyond awareness. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters. Today, we have somebody I've been trying to get on the podcast for a while now, and I'm so excited to have her here. Her name is Kutsia Naki. She is the creator and host of the podcast Down to the Struts. She's a lawyer and disability justice activist based in Washington, D.C. Kutsia's work on disability has been featured in Vox, Oxford University Press, the Disability Visibility Project, and Forbes Magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Kudzia. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Diana. So tell us about yourself. Tell us about your journey. How do you identify? What's your story, Kudzia? Sure. So I was born with a congenital um, eye condition that results in vision loss over time. So I'm I'm certainly not an, alone. There's many, many people around the country who have similar types of conditions, either mine or, or many other types, um, who start off with more usable vision and sort of have their vision change over time. And I, um, I grew up in New Jersey on the East coast and I went to a mainstream public school. And then I switched over to a private school, um, kind of starting in middle school and for high school. And I did receive some blindness services through the state commission for the blind and visually impaired. But for example, I, you know, the, the services really focused on 
how to maximize the use of my usable vision versus training for, um, you know, blindness skills. And so I, for example, I never learned Braille. I never had a guide dog. I had some uh, mobility training with the white cane. Um, but, you know, my vision was pretty good during the day. And so I just sort of I passed in a lot of ways and disability was not a part of my identity until much, much later on in life. And I'm sure I could share a whole lot more, but that's kind of just the basics of, you know, how I started off in my sort of disability consciousness. So I, what I got from that is you didn't always identify as a person with a disability and um, your disability wasn't at the forefront of your identity did you have anybody in your path that supported you into um, embracing your blind identity or your disability identity? Did you have any mentors or who have your mentors been? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. I mean, the one thing I will say is my parents, you know, were, they were, you know, immigrant parents. I'm a, I'm a first generation South Asian American, and they didn't know a whole lot about a lot of the systems and they weren't super familiar with the ADA. They had some basic understanding that I was entitled to certain things. And they really were, they were very good advocates for me and my schooling in terms of making sure I had what I needed to be successful. And, um, you know, they, it's interesting. They definitely tried. So for example, once they, they took me to a camp in New Jersey for kids with disabilities. And because though I, I you know, I had no other, you know, people who identified as being disabled in my family, it was not even a word that we used to talk about. And then all of a sudden I was at this camp and I actually didn't want to go. And I, I, I made them take me home. I refused to participate. And um, because that's, it, it was so, I didn't have a model around me and that didn't really happen happened for me until much later on. So I, you know, I went to college in New York City, I went to law school in Philadelphia, I went back to New York, and then uh, a job brought me down to Washington, DC, which is where I live now. And I was at um, an, an event uh, with some other, like a, 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 an event for lawyers. And I had a mentor at the time. Um, and she didn't identify as disabled, but she knew this other blind lawyer. And she said to me, you know, I'd really like to introduce you to this person. And at first I was a bit um, skeptical. Oh gosh, uh, she is blind. I'm blind. You assume we're going to be friends. But in reality, this this mentor of mine really understood that I would connect with this, this other blind lawyer and that it would be sort of useful for me to have someone like that in my life. And so it was, it was very, um, a very smart uh, decision on her part to introduce me. So I, I was introduced to this blind lawyer and we completely hit it off. We really bonded over um, adaptive sports. Uh, so we're both athletes and she had recently started a group called the Metro Washington Association of Blind Athletes. And she really encouraged me. It took a while to convince me, but um, she really, you know, I would hang out with her from time to time. And she said, you should come ride tandem with us, or you should do this with us or come kayaking or come hiking. And finally I did go and I, I tried out tandem biking, which I had never done. And I had a blast. And then in the course of that, I met all these other amazing blind folks who are really fun and had shared interests. And that's really the first time I ever had true disability community. And I was able to learn from people. And I, one important lesson I learned is 
there was a million and one ways to do things when you're blind. And, you know, I started to get ideas around technology, mobility, strategies for dealing with the workplace, things that other people in my life, though they really like my parents and others, though they really tried to walk in my shoes, they just couldn't give me because they didn't have the lived experience that these mm-hmm. other folks did. And so that that really was transformative for me. Wow. Kutia, how old were you when you met your mentor, your blind mentor? Uh, so n- very late in life, I was in my, oh gosh, um, early 30s, early 30s. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how, so how was that for you growing up then in a school system that really didn't, you know, was more about remediation and not about access and, and coming from a family who certainly embraced you and loved you and supported you and yet didn't know all that there was available to you, not just the right to go to school, but, um, I don't know. How was that? How was that for you as a student and a family member all those years, not having a disability community? It was really difficult. I mean, it was very isolating. I felt like I couldn't, you know, fully identify with my family, with my peers. Mm. I always felt sort of excluded and I didn't. So for instance, when I was in school, I ran track and I had no idea about this option of like having a running guide or, mm. um, you know, that sort of a thing. Interestingly, though, I was running around, I could still kind of run by myself at the time. And I was running around the campus and then the parents were getting all upset because they were driving their cars and I would like run in the street and they were scared. They would hit me. And so the teachers banned me from doing that. Um, they oh. said, you can't, you can't run on the road by yourself anymore. And I was really upset. And this one, it's interesting now that I think back this, th- th- she was uh, my track coach. She came to me afterwards. We had this whole, they had this whole intervention with me of like, you can't do this anymore. And she was like, look, I will run with you. And so every day or like a couple of days a week after school, she would come and we didn't use a tether or anything, but she would just run beside me and we would run together. And now that I look back on that, that was an example of someone in my life early on who, even when I felt like I didn't, you know, someone who was thinking creatively and was like, oh, let's give her access. And so, so, but the vast majority of the time that wasn't the case, it was always the, the, it was always the can't, right? That you can't do this. So we'll um, find something else for you to do um, as opposed to like, how can we help you figure out how to participate with everyone else? Another example that really sticks out to me is I was in seventh grade in science class and they were making, we were making, learning how to make a topographical map. So like a 3D map. Um, And it involved using, you know, paper, paper cutters and like, uh, like box cutting kind of like sharp, uh, sharp tools. And they, (laughs) they just said, no, I, we don't think this is safe for you. And then instead they were like, why don't you go to the library? And while everyone else is working on their map, you can write a report about topography. And instead. And so, and, and they didn't really talk to me about what I wanted to do or what I would have preferred. They just were like, this isn't safe. You're going to do something else. And then as a consequence, like my, I would leave the classroom, everyone else was working on these maps and I would sit alone in the library. And like, that was a lot of my life. You know, it was always sort of can't and exclude versus you can, and we'll, we're going to include you. Yeah. And um, from an educator perspective, it's all based on 
what we don't know and what we are afraid of and not having a commitment to all of our students having equitable access to whatever it is we're offering at school, you know? And I think so often we, as educators and even as family members, sometimes we base all of our, all of our decisions and our attitudes are grounded in that fear, you know, whether it's fear that you're going to get hurt or that something's going to go wrong. Um, but that fear overshadows our commitment to all of our students having access. Thank you for sharing those stories. Um, so now let's switch over to your podcast, Down to the Struts. Um, you're now in season six of Down to the Struts, which by the way, I love listening to your podcast, your diversity of guests, and you are just I, I aspire to be like you in terms of the questions and the flow of your podcast. I just really love it. And I hope that my listeners will start listening to it as well. You're in season six. What prompted you to create a podcast and what drives you to keep it going? Uh, that's, that's such a good question. And I, I have to say right back at you, I really, I really love what you're doing here. And it's such an important audience that you're speaking to. And, um, you know, I, I, I've been following your work and your advocacy and, uh, definitely, uh, admire, admiring from afar, but not afar anymore, because now we've had a chance to meet. Um, and I'm, Thank, thank you, you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It means so much to me um, that you found it useful and meaningful and that it just, you know, it, it just is so affirming to hear that. So I'm so grateful to you for that. And um, so the podcast is, it has an interesting story. I, I mean, it, it, interesting or not interesting. I don't know. So it was, you know, 2020 and we were all locked up in our houses and, um, you know, I had been thinking a lot about, my own disability identity over the the past few years and just um you know as i came into disability community i felt like you know here i have all this time on my hands because i no one's going anywhere and i'm mm -hmm. i'm blessed because i am i'm safe and i'm secure in my home i have a place to live i have employment um so many people during the pandemic really really struggled with all of those things um right. and lived in in some real precarity and i i was like i'm so i'm so just privileged what can i do that can contribute in some way. And, um, and you know, I love the medium of podcasting. I love audio. And I thought, you know, this is a thing I can do, you know, safely from my home. Um, and I, I have to give a shout out here to Alice Wong, um, who I reached out to. I did not know her at all. And I had come across the Disability Visibility Project and podcast. And I just, I cold emailed her and I said, you know, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Do you have any advice? And she was so generous. She responded within 24 hours and she was like, I'm wow. really busy promoting my book, but here's two people I want you to talk to. And those two people were Cheryl Green and Thomas Reed. Thomas yeah. Reed hosts the podcast, Read My Mind Radio. And they were both just 
both just lovely humans in general and also just so helpful. Um, you know, Cheryl, who's just an audio wizard, listened to some of my early recordings and was like, you know, you can breathe um, <laughs> while you're talking and kind of taught, showed me the ropes and taught me about, and, and most importantly, they were like, if you're going to do a podcast, you need to make it accessible to everybody. And we talked about how to do a transcript, how to write a transcript. And that was something I was really having a fully accessible podcast website with image descriptions. And so they were really helpful in guiding me about how the mechanics of, of how to do that. And then the, the final component of this, where I feel so fortunate and that really birthed the podcast is I had um, two friends of mine who I kind of had shared this idea with, and they were just, they jumped right on board. One of them is really great with social media. She's worked as a journalist and she said, I will help you create your website, help you create your socials. And then my other friend happened to be an audio producer and was really interested in getting more into that world. And she was like, I will edit for you. And, and that was just a gift. Wow. And so we had a little team and we, um, you know, it, I mean, without them, without uh, Alice and, and Cheryl and Thomas, this would not have been possible. And also I would say my partner, um, who, you know, really was just kind of like, you should go for it. You should, you should do it. And, and did a lot of that. Um, you can, you can, which I really needed. It's, it's really from a psychological standpoint, when you've had those can't messages your whole life, it's really hard to unlearn that. And having people around you that say, yes, you can, um, is really, really important. And I can't, um, uh, you know, I can't overemphasize how important that is, especially for young people. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it happened. And I, I did a lot of cold emailing to people who I wanted to interview. I had no idea whether they would come back to me and, and people did, people were like, yes, well, we will be on your show. And they kind of were patient with me as I was, I'm sure, you know, as you started your own podcast, the learning curve is steep and, yes. you know, it was really, uh, you know, the generosity of people to share their stories is just tremendous. And I feel like the community that I've built of the alumni of the podcast is also just an incredible gift. And, and yeah, mm -hmm. so, I mean, that's, that's kind of, kind of, kind of how it all came to be. And I really wanted to increasingly focus on interviewing disabled folks, disabled folks of color, people doing young people, people doing work across topic areas. Um, and I wanted to talk about the arts and technology and law and policy because I am a lawyer. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of how it all came together. <laughs> yes. Wow. Thank you. That's wonderful. What a treat that you had Alice Wong and Cheryl and Thomas and just such great allies in your corner for that. Um, yes. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for the work that you continue to do with down to the struts. Do you have a burning desire to have a more equitable and inclusive school culture? Are you a person who understands the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion work in schools? But when it comes to disability, you're just not sure you know the right things to say and do. Maybe you're a special education teacher or a general education teacher, a specialist or an administrator, and you may know a lot about disabilities but not necessarily about the experience of being disabled by society. You're interested in disability awareness that will actually make a difference, but you feel stuck. Maybe you're still experiencing a lack of guidance and lack of research-based disability awareness materials or strategies. 
Maybe you're seeing segregation on your campus and a lack of belonging for all students. Maybe you feel frustrated due to resistance to inclusion, and you're afraid that you're not qualified to lead the charge for disability inclusion in your DEI work. You know there's got to be a better way, but you're not sure what it is. If this is you, then I have a couple things that might be helpful to you. First off, I invite you to take advantage of my free resource called The Five Keys to Going Beyond Awareness. All you have to do is go to gobeyondawareness.com slash keys, and I'll send you my important tips for starting your journey toward a more inclusive school culture. And if you've already started the journey and are wanting more to keep you grounded and moving forward in disability awareness that is based in dignity, respect, and research, then head over to gobeyondawareness.com and sign up for my compact digital Beyond Awareness course filled with valuable information and resources. In it, you'll learn the foundations of disability awareness strategies that align with research so you can feel confident in your diversity, equity, access, inclusion, belonging, and disability awareness endeavors. Again, just head on over to gobeyondawareness.com. So as you were talking, you know, you mentioned that Cheryl Green had said, you know, you want to make sure that your, your podcast is accessible, that you have a transcript and all that stuff, stuff that I try to do, and I'm still learning. Um, and so I know that a lot of our listeners also have a lot to learn in terms of how to create accessible spaces and especially accessible digital spaces you know, like on social media or, um, and platforms that we use, um, podcast descriptions or whatever it is that we're doing. What I want to ask you, what do we not know? What do most people not know? What are some misconceptions about blindness that we have and about blind access? What is it that you run across that are barriers for you and others who are blind, um, that we should know about? I think in terms of visual content. So one important thing to know is starting with social media and a lot of websites, alt text isn't automatically generated or embedded into images. It has to be manually input. I mean, I think there's some rudimentary um, alt text that is auto-generated in Facebook and maybe also Instagram, but it's really very poor. It doesn't tell you what an image actually is. It gives you some basic information. And so, um, you know, learning how to add alt text, it's pretty, it's pretty easy and it just takes a couple of minutes and it's actually really fun. And I, I, I view it as part of a work of art or a photo. Um, it's, it's really, it's a really fun way to flex your kind of writing skills and to think about, okay, if I was describing this image over the phone to someone who couldn't, didn't have access to it or couldn't see it, how would I explain this image? What's most important to me personally about this image? So I think that's uh, one, one thing that's really important that people may not realize is when they're sharing images online or via a website, adding those image descriptions can just totally transform, especially a blind person's experience of, um, you know, of, 
of those images. And I actually did an interview on my podcast with Sean Collins, who's an editor at Vox.com, who kind of walks people through how to write a good image description and, and explains, for instance, in the context of news articles, why doing that can really help someone understand a little bit more about what's being conveyed in that article. So that's a really important piece. And um, I think, you know, with video, audio description, and, and, you know, Thomas and Cheryl also do a lot of that work is, is so critical to, and it's becoming a lot more ubiquitous, which is really heartening to see. But, um, you know, having audio description is really, is really important when you're doing video. And then, of course, for our deaf and hard of hearing colleagues, um, you know, captioning and transcripts, I have, you know, I have deaf and hard of hearing folks in my life. And, and also just some people who, don't do well with auditory processing. And so having the option of saying to someone like, oh, I have trouble listening to podcasts or I can't follow it or I can't hear very well, just being like, oh, well, no problem. You can you can just read the transcript and that will be a lot better experience for you. So I am a firm believer just in general, even leaving blindness aside, but in general um, with with folks with disabilities and just access is to, to provide providing information in as many modalities as you're able to because people experience things in different ways. Um, um, is is always a benefit to everybody, regardless of even whether you have a disability. Absolutely, hundred percent agree. And I I aim to keep learning about this and do better and better each day. Thank you for sharing that. I do have a follow up question. You mentioned video uh, descriptions, and I did listen to that episode with Cheryl Green and Thomas Reed, where they were going over some um, of the films that have have audio description. And I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for some that might be of interest to my listeners um, that they could, because I don't think many people have experienced an audio described film. Yeah. So what's really cool is a lot of the um, streaming platforms, Apple, Netflix, Hulu now have AD. So it's actually a feature you can just turn on. It's not available for all films, especially like I think sometimes with older ones, it might be harder, but especially with new content coming out on those platforms, usually nowadays films have and TV shows that are streaming have audio description options and they're really very good. Mm. Um, and then um, in the in in movies, so this <laughs> this completely changed my life. I basically would go to the movies and like I couldn't see half the movie and I if there was no dialogue, I usually had no idea what was going on. And then again, the benefit of having a community of people that share your disability. So my friends were like, what are you doing? My blind friends, they're just like, how do you live? You can get audio description headphones. So when you go to a movie theater, like AMC or uh, Landmark or any of these like big theater uh, Regal, you can go to the, the customer service desk and get audio description headphones. And so you just put them on. And then when the movie starts, the AD streams, the AD track will stream along with the movie. And that just changed my life. <laughs> um, wow. That was just amazing. So it's a really, and again, like my family, I mean, that technology wasn't available when I was growing up, but nobody thought about like, people, you know, the most I would get in a movie theater is a friend or a family member asking like, oh, can you see? What can you see? As opposed to like, oh, let me describe this to you because I know you can't see it. Um, so it, it, 
it really was a it's it's a game changer and and it's it's becoming again because of the advocacy of people like Cheryl and Thomas becoming a lot more ubiquitous and like universally available. Mm, wow. And so that's for any film that you go to a theater. Most of the time. So what you can do is when you looked when you're looking at movie times, um nowadays what they have is they'll um they'll have notes next to the movie of like, is there, is there live closed or opening open captioning? Is there AD? And so you can check that ahead of time. So I only, for example, when my partner and I go to the movies, we only go to, to movies where there's AD available. I just learned something new. That's awesome. Like, I can't wait to try it myself. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So in your podcast down to the struts, um, you know, Speaking of things that we learn from our guests, you navigate disability culture through the stories and perspectives of your very diverse guests. I want to know what you've learned through your inquiries. What stands out for you that you would like to share with our audience of mostly educators and families that you've learned through your guests? I've learned so many things through my guests. I could probably talk about that for an hour, but I'll hit some of the highlights for you. Um, so I think, um, I feel like the the sequencing of my guests has was sort of done, whether somewhat consciously, but mostly subconsciously, as like my own uh, disability learning curriculum. So if you go very back to the first episode is my interview with Arielle Silverman, who I had actually end up having back on the show to talk about her memoir. Um, but we talked about this concept of disability wisdom and what it means to be wise about disability and what it means to be an ally, what it means to be someone who, who centers inclusion and access. Um, and then I moved on to talk to Sara Acevedo about like disability terminology. So something you were mentioning earlier, like person first language versus identity first language and, you know, the word crip and its origins. And um, so, you know, those are really building blocks for me in terms of understanding disability culture. And then, you know, we kind of moved on into into lots of different topics, but, um, you know, really thinking about the intersection of race and disability, immigration and disability, immigration status and disability. Um, So I think like, one of the things that I I really have taken away from all of my guests is just learning about how rich and diverse disability culture itself is. It's it's certainly not a monolith. Even two people who share the same disability might have really different perspectives or points of view about their disability, about access, about inclusion, what that means. And I think that's been the greatest gift of the podcast. And the thing I've learned the most is that this is a really diverse and rich community and people come at it in from lots of different sort of perspectives and to learning about what's the difference between disability rights and disability justice. Um, You know, people have different opinions about person first versus identity first language. And there's a genuine debate about that. There's, you know, there's sort of these interesting uh, tensions in the community and, and they're not, I don't say tensions in sort of a negative way, but I think I've, I've, the, the dimensions of what I understand disability to be as an experience have really sort of evolved and taken new shape as I have interacted with all these different guests who come from so many different walks of life. Mm, Yes. I can, I concur. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. All right. So I want to ask you what are some of your favorite books? Oh my goodness. Um, 
Um, so I, I have to, again, another topic I could talk about for like an hour, but um, I, I would definitely like to um, give a little plug for Alice Wong's memoir, Year of the Tiger. What a sort of wonderful romp through disability culture. It's just such a fun read. The audio version is fabulous. She has an Asian American uh, person doing the audio description and it just feels very much like Alice and it's, it's really great. I also recently um, finished reading The Future is Disabled by Leah Lakshmi Piapsna Samara Sinha, which I really, really enjoyed. And again, um, is just a really fantastic book. And um, and so Diana, I think this this might be a, a little bit close to your heart. Um, I, I had on my show, Jennifer Natalia Fink, who wrote the book, All Our Families, which is just a wonderful meditation about disability and the family. And I just, I learned so much from my conversation with her and the book itself. So this just a couple of a couple of books that I've really enjoyed recently. Thank you so much. I've written I've written down um, all our families, and I'm going to get that. I have read uh, Year of the Tiger, and of course, um, Disability Visibility by Alice Wong, and I look forward to reading Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samaran Singha's new book, The Future Is Disabled. Um, and I read another one, Care Work by yes. her, which is really mm-hmm. good. But I want to mention to our audience that those two books, especially, I'm not sure about all our families, but those two books are definitely adult content. You know, it's not a book that you want to read to your children. They're they're adult content and and words in there. So make sure that you're careful, you know, to use discretion. But they're amazing books. If you want to immerse yourself in disability culture and all the different perspectives that we are talking about here today, then definitely those are great, great books. Thank you for those recommendations. Of course. And for a children's book, I would, I love the book, We Move Together. Yes. Fantastic. (laughs) Yes, yes, definitely. I love that one too. And I will put those, I will put all of those in the show notes for everybody. And how about podcasts? What are your favorite podcasts that you listen to? I know you love podcasts. I do. And so most of the podcasts I listen to just as a preface as well are a little bit more adult. I think Read My Mind Radio is pretty kid is pretty kid friend, friendly. What a wonderful, it's just beautifully produced, really great stories of blindness and disability by Thomas Reed. So that's one I really enjoy. Another one that I recently started listening to, which is again, a little bit more adult, but really wonderful is um, Intersectional Insights, um, which is a book, um, sorry, a podcast that features two uh, Black blind women who kind of talk about their experiences at those intersections, and they have a wonderful sort of rapport and dialogue. So that's that's another one that I've, I've really um, been enjoying. I also really enjoy uh, Judy Human's podcast as well, um, which is, is really fun to listen to. So those are just a few of the sort of disability focused podcasts that I really enjoy. Great. I can't wait to listen to, I have not listened to read my mind radio or intersectional insights. So I'm going to check those out for sure. And definitely I love the human perspective with Judy human. All right, let's see what else (laughs) favorite person you've interviewed and why. Oh no, I can't choose. That's, <laughs> that's so hard. That's so, so hard. I, I, there's so many people that have been, uh, just delightful to interview. I'm, um, I guess I, since my mind is sort of in season six, I, 
I really, really enjoyed interviewing Bhavna Mehta, who was um, episode two, so the one that just released uh, earlier this week. Uh, she is a visual artist who is based in San Diego and does a lot of sort of work and meditation around disability and the body and migration. And we just had this incredibly beautiful conversation and she's just an absolute delight and um alice wong obviously was a really fun one um i really enjoyed interviewing her but um i also one of my personal all-time favorites was when i interviewed um conchita hernandez lagareta melissa lomax and justice shorter to talk about their sort of their online group for blind women of color called walk world um so that was that was a really fun uh conversation it was the most people i'd had on the podcast at once so mm. it was really a test of my interviewing <laughs> skills to interview three people at once um but yeah yeah Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. Thank you. What's next for you? Uh, what's next for me? Uh, well, I, I'm starting to think about season seven of the podcast. So the podcast isn't going anywhere. And um, I will say as a result of the podcast, I've also just had been so privileged to have lots of opportunities to write about disability, to think about disability, to present about disability topics. Um, and so, you know, that, that's been really, really special. And, um, you know, I really hope to continue connecting with other disabled, uh, BIPOC disabled podcasters, um, so that we can sort of share resources and promote, promote each other's work. I've done some of that on this episode today. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to seeing this community grow. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing all that you put forth next as well, and that our, our friends in the disability community put forth as well and support one another. How can people find you, Kutsia? How can they connect with you, follow you, other than on the Down, the, Down to the Struts podcast, which will be in the link? Uh, yes, thank you so much. Yes, you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on whatever podcast platform you like. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts. We have a Facebook group called Down to the Struts Podcast. And I also, about a year ago, launched a newsletter called Getting Down to It, which is available on Substack and is also linked through my website, downtothestruts.com. And you can also email us if you have questions or thoughts or ideas uh, at downtothestruts at gmail.com. Kuzia, it's been so generous of you to spend your time with us today, and it's been a delight for me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Diana. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters. If this was helpful to you, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also follow me, Diana on Instagram at Diana Pastora Carson and on Facebook at facebook.com slash go beyond awareness. Or you can go to my website for more information at dianapastoracarson.com. My books include Beyond Awareness, Bringing Disability into Diversity Work in K-12 Schools and Communities, as well as my children's book, Ed Roberts, Champion of Disability Rights. Both books can be found on Amazon. For your free Beyond Awareness resource called The Five Keys to Going Beyond Awareness, simply go to 
gobeyondawareness.com slash keys. This podcast transcription and podcast guest information can be found in the show notes. Intro and outro music has been provided courtesy of Emmanuel Castro. Thank you again. Be well, be a lifelong learner, and let's be inclusive. See you next time. Manos arriba, arriba, todas las manos para